the Demon Dust Podcast, dedicated to the His Dark Materials, BBC, HBO television series, based on the works of Philip Pullman, is hosted by Travis Bryant and Rich Fan II, powered by the South Congress Podcast Network. Podcast where we review and discuss and ponder over each episode of the His Dark Material show on BBC and HBO. I am your host, Travis Bryant, and with me, per usual, is my main man, Richard Fan. Rich, uh, thanks for joining hey. me once again. Yeah. Yeah, ready to roll. Looking, ex- I mean, this is the week. If this was a week, I got a lithiometer and I got bare love. I mean, wait, no, that doesn't. <laughs> we got, we got a ton of a lithiometer. I, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get each time, or at least each, like the first time each episode show like the glow in her in her pupil, like kind of the reflection of the thing. Or, but at least we got the deep dive inside the alethiometer which which again shows the guy's name who on the front who who made that particular alethiometer i'm not sure if they're all made by the same person and he has a name and he's mentioned in the books i'm not i just don't remember his name but listening to one of one of the his dark materials podcasts i listen to and there are many uh, well there are many podcasts i listen to four uh and I don't know who said it. It was maybe on the the, the Dark Material podcast, maybe on the Amber Spy cla- uh, cast, maybe on the Measures of Truth podcast, or maybe on the um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the uh, like Rick Perry. Oops, <laughs> drawing a, a blank. But one of those guys, one of the those folks on one of those three or four podcasts, said, uh, "Oh, the Her Dark Materials podcast," and that makes sense because that's the one I just got put onto. Um, but and look at this, the Dark Material podcast is already. A, oh, oh, they saw it yesterday. That's no big. Never mind. Cheaters? They're in the UK. Cheat. Yeah, cheating asses. <laughs> um, I didn't lost my thought. I, I was trying to make a point, but I was a, they had a great quote: "Alethiometer." Is that what I, I was? I don't. That's I, what you were talking about. You were talking about the alethiometer. They said one of them had a great oh, the, point. The, the, no, no, no. Oh, they they made the they said who that person is. The the the, the guy who created or built or designed or I don't, I don't remember the exact story how it goes. Um, but when you zoom in, when they do that like swirl or not swirl, but that like kind of deep swim around the the alethiometer as it starts clicking and and churning, they show his name is like on the front plate of the inside where the right in the center so um and and one Pavel Kunrath. yes so he is the creator again i don't know if he if he made all of them if he's the inventor of the alethiometer conrad it was in the 17th century mm-hmm. yeah just hanging out you know hmm. doing things in eastern europe <laughs> alethiometering yeah 
just a, getting his alethium on. Uh, all right. right. Like when you say alethiometer, like I think based on, you know, before they created history and obviously Pullman did what he did. But any other time in human history, that would have been like Jimmy Alethios from Greece or something. Oh, for sure. That That's absolutely. And it probably was. I, it, there's remember the in the books, the I Ching is a version <laughs> of the alethiometer. Right, and and if you talk about Man in High Castle, it does similar things. It you know, it, if you know how to access it, it can take you to a different d- d- dimension, universe, okay. Earth, you know, whatever yeah. realm. Um, speaking of, that is on the list to be. Maybe that's what I'll do Thanksgiving, since I'm not like turkeying it up anywhere. I'll sit and watch uh, Man in High Castle all day. But yeah, anyway. Um, Man with the alethiometer. This episode, who, boy, probably, you know what, that's not fair. This isn't, I don't want to start going, oh, this was better than this episode, but not better than this one. This was a great episode. Um, This was, like you said, uh, alethiometer focused, York Berenson focused, Bear focused, Trollison focused, because that's where they were. Uh, we got to meet Ufor Ragnason. They gave up some. They gave Lee up some. Flipping Scoresby. They gave oh oh and Lee Scoresby, the guy who opens the show. We got to meet Lee and Hester, who I kept seeing in the last twenty four hours because I just I, I I watched it today. I had the episode yesterday, but I you know we had Survivor Series and a bunch of other stuff going on in in, in wrestling. Um. But I kept seeing, oh, Hester is so, you know, Hester is this and Hester is that. And she's so cute. And what a, what a, you know, just all this praise for Hester. I'm like, okay, Hester's great. Like, uh, you know, the Hesters we've been introduced to either in the book or yeah. or from the movie. And Hester's, Hester's great. Hester has her... Uh, has her high high qualities and everything, but they were really over the top. And man, that fight scene, and we'll get to it in a little bit. That fight scene, I was like, oh, Hester's a G. She the best wing wing woman, <laughs> you know, assist. Listen, she's the Hester best. had my heart when she was singing along in the first five oh, minutes. From the, okay. like, Come on, hit that note, hit so, that scene note. Hit. So let's let's start with where we uh, uh, let's start at the open. They 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 start up. The show above the clouds—it's just spectacular. I mean, if you've ever been on an airplane and you've been, you know, thirty thousand feet—well, he's in an air balloon, hot air balloon, or whatever—he's not that high up, but he's above a level of clouds, and it looks gorgeous. And he's humming or and 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 singing a song, and he goes, "Sing it, Hester," and she just continued, didn't miss a note. <laughs> Whatever you know, humming and uh, humming and singing, and it and he's checking his Lee is checking his gauges and his temperatures and making sure everything in his balloon technically is, is technical technically sound, and it was just a great opening scene to introduce and to right away give you an idea of what this man's personality is. He leans over the leans over the boat. So he's so he's like super he's in the hot air balloon already. So he's already this this amazing adventurer, right? Like holy crap, he's by himself traveling across the skies in a in a in a hot air balloon. And he's just 
on the scaffolding and stuff, just like, you know, uh, 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 monkey barring his way around, because that's how you get around. And he's like, so you already know, oh, this guy's pretty fearless. He leans over to the side, sees through the clouds down into the river, into the water, that we're not the only ones headed to Charleston, uh, Hester. And it's pretty obvious that he that he knew it was the Egyptians. Then they start talking about Yorick and... Can we just stay out of trouble this time, Lee? And he's like, we owe York a, a giant debt, and he deserves us to get into some trouble or something like that. Basically, you know, like, mm-mm, we, we, we getting into some trouble, Hester. So get your mind right. We want the smoke all stars. We want the smoke. So, yes, they want all the smoke and, 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 and. Yeah, just a great opening scene to set the tone of this episode and to just to punch you in the face with Scoresby's personality. And the captions, man humming simple melody. <laughs> that's the song, that's how they described, that's how the HBO captions described Lee singing. And boy, he's way up there, man. It's not even, he's not messing around. Speaking of not messing around, I mean, as an actor, Lin Manuel Miranda, obviously, genius musician, genius composer, genius with Hamilton. Oh, he got bars he, too. He's bringing it in this. <laughs> like this is, this is great. And he's not, you know, the best thing I found in the last like ten, fifteen years when it comes to technology is the actors who do not care about working with CG and how freeing that is. Because there was a time where a guy like this would be like, "Ugh, I gotta pretend like there's a rabbit next sure. to me." Sure, but they t- went the extra step in this show, and all the demons are—or not all, not every shot, but probably all the ones where they're close and talking face to face or holding their demon in some way—they're puppets. Oh, I'm not sure if you went to Ariane Bakari's Instagram stories like I suggested. I posted them in the uh, in the Secret Commonwealth uh, uh, I am uh, for you and Friday. And he was just first off, it was filled with he's leaning all the way into the Boreal, like L'Oreal, the makeup company, you know, beauty and makeup folks yeah l'oreal he trying to get paid so he ever well the internet did it first and they start making memes boreal maybe it's not maybe it's maybelline whatever it live uh, i forget what the oh because i'm worth it <laughs> or because he's worth it so people start making memes of him holding his snake boreal in the in the l'oreal font because you're worth it or something like whatever their catchphrase so he's leaned all the way into it so i assume a lot of the people that he either found a bunch of instagrams a bunch of videos and i uh, ig videos and stuff and collated them and put them on his stories or they're his, his co-workers of whatever thing he's working on maybe those are his dark materials directors and producers and, and various technical folks but people were just like Boreal because he's worth it and just he's just leaning all the way into it and then he had a snake on a stick and he's like slithering it around and he's like Boreal and I was like I bet that's his real puppet that's the actual puppet they use and um, 
and so they're ta- they get to talk to an actual physical object or or a thing that at least looks like the thing like pans you see in the in the shots before the show aired they would show shots of the of the set and them on set and 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 Daphne Keene standing there with a pouch on her chest like a baby like one like sort of one that you would keep a baby in on your you know front like a back backpack that you wear on your stomach and it just had a tiny little uh white well it's this er- white ermine form but it was just a puppet pan just on her chest so she could look down and interact with this thing and it's not just a tennis ball with uh or or a sock with those like ping pong balls on it that they do use for cg it's like you can actually you know you're doing a little puppet acting or not at, yeah you're acting to a puppet so it's not yeah some lifeless it's still lifeless but you, i think you all know what i mean um but yeah then we uh oh oh and then we get the shot of the egyptian's boat lyra running to the front of the the and this is a ship this is not a boat this is the ship they left on as a as a as a as a squad last week and Lyra runs to the front she sees the mountains of Charleston in the background in the port city and then we get our opening credits so we establish in the in the opening five you know opening three minutes three and a half minutes of the show who Lee Scoresby is what he's about what his personality is like Hester sing it Hester and then we get uh, and we get the Egyptians and Lyra and all those guys basically landing or ascending uh, on Charleston. I'm greedy, but I would have loved a Family Guy-esque Lee Scoresby sings the theme. Rich, see, you I know. Know, see it's people I know. like you that just, yes, greedy indeed. You are asking for too much. The materials are dark. <laughs> How dark are the materials? Oh my God goodness <laughs> have a full choir just pop up on the balloon Let's see Hester all like the demons just singing Hester, Hester old, yeah. the horse to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Serafina Pecola's demon you don't even know her yet she show up and she's conducting <laughs> got the little stick in her beak <laughs> well his beak but yeah his. that's right that's right <laughs> alright so we get the opening credits still just a joy to watch and listen to uh, every time uh, and then we open the show, or we open the episode proper, with uh, Lee's ominous run-in with, with, you know, some kind of officer of the law, somebody with some authority, but you could tell not much, that kind of thing. And um, some things got changed from the books, like he lived <laughs> this this authority this. Uh, I don't. Wanna, I'm looking and at his I, uniform. He's not a cop, but he's some kind of uh, kind of constable or sheriff type yeah. person of Charleston. So he's just like, hey, uh, there's a rumor of a bear, and he's like, gets the guy's goat, and he's like, hey, I got ru- there's rumors of an aeronaut who creates bedlam everywhere that he, he goes. Any truth to that? And he looks him dead in his face and then walks off in the meantime Lee lifted the guy's pocket watch like a G and Hester's like Lee can we just not stay out of trouble 
and I'm and I'm doing the book Hester voice because that you know your first impressions yeah, yeah. are that's just. But uh, where did where did Lee Scoresby pickpocket come from? He's down for everything. Like I'm not even mad that that's added, but like. I mean, it adds a layer to his, like, he's a slick, he's a slickster, you know, like like this guy came over and, you know, hey, everywhere you go, Bedlam, Bedlam follows. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Lee was always a pretty straight shooter. I never took him as, you know, and I guess that's d- d- stealing from scumbags is different from being like a liar or whatever and he's that he never came across as dishonest in that way but yeah and this comes up again later with his pickpocket in ass and he likes he likes pocket watches specifically i don't know if it's because it's the style everybody wears the you know wears them on the outside of their clothing i mean you wear a watch on your wrist that we do but so it's not odd that it's outside their person but it's you know you can see the chain go from the pocket to the thing and it's just obvious where yeah it's just an easy thing at least for Lee Scoresby to lift. Um, He's gonna be like those pocket watches like you watch in pocket. Nope, drop them, <laughs> drop them bars, Lee, drop them. So Corum and Fi are just kind of the, you know they've landed in in Charleston. They're like hey that spy flies definitely made it back to Mrs. Coulter. Um, we need to start. Uh, you know, they basically make their set their plan of action, and right. Quorum starts talking about I haven't seen Seraphine to Pecola in 30, 40 years. You know, and if 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 Quorum's supposed to be about sixty, that makes sense. You know, he met her as a young man, fell in love with her as a young man, probably somewhere in his twenties, early thirties, and and uh, so he's saying to 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 Quorum like, and and they're they're implying. Witches live hundreds of years, so thirty years to a witch ain't nothing. She looks exactly the same as he did, or, or that he remembers. But he's an old man, right. and, and he's trying to like basically he's getting the getting ready to slick that hair back, get some pomade. Well, he's kind of it seems like he's telling trying to get to talk himself into it, like you know he's a little nervous. And Quorum sensing it goes, yeah, you weren't uh, you weren't that good looking when you were twenty, basically. <laughs> Which is like the the Hall of Fame uh, just damning with faint praise. Like, hey, man, you've always been ugly. <laughs> so they, they even then Lyra enters the scene and they're like, hey, are you sure we want to take the, you know, bring bring her along? And he's sure. And Coram assures her, uh, uh, Fa, like, yeah, we, we, we definitely need what she can do. And then he asks Lyra as he, he catches up with her, Quorum does, and they walk walk together. Um, and I'm just noticing on my rewatch, there's some like brontosaurus level like meat being like wheeled by. Is this like seal meat or whale blubber or something? Because I, I did not notice <laughs> earlier when I watched, but they're just carts of you know like the brontosaurus ribs they put on. Fred Flintstone's car that tips it over like a giant one being wheeled by and yeah all kinds of stuff so Quorum's asking her hey can can I trust that your your readings are correct or you know that you're going to be able to like 
be able to do this when we need it. And she's like, yeah, I, I got it. And he's like, how do you got it? Like, how can you be so sure? How do you do it? And she's like, I don't, she really didn't know how to explain, but the only way she put, she could is like, it's like coming down a ladder in the dark. Like, you know, you know, you put your foot down and you know it's there and, and then it's there. And she says, talks about how she kind of just, it's a trick of it, like focusing your eyes and just working out the meaning, like the meaning of the, uh, of the symbols. And then she says about how the, the Madonna is Mrs. Coulter and this symbol means that. And then there's a guy on a balcony watching her and she pulls out the alethiometer. And you do notice that there are magisterium clerics and also magisterium officers of the law like official looking guys with weapons and like a billy club and a record shop if you if you look at them sideways and everybody's looking at Coram and Lyra and again especially the guy on the balcony who had a bird's eye view of her when she pulled the alethiometer out and then Coram notice starts noticing all the magisterium around and he's like hey put, put that thing away which I didn't understand why as soon as she pulled it out, he didn't tell her, like, what are you, daft child? Put that thing away. Kind of, kind of. Right. Go, go Batman meme and, like, full-on back smack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so he gets her to, to put the thing away. Uh, and they head off to see Dr. Lanzarius. 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 They didn't say his name, or uh, maybe on my second, uh, watch I, I I'll notice it but I didn't notice he's talking about the witch council which Dr. Lance alias mm-hmm. is he's a link to the witches and basically we need to get a message to them and Lyra's like okay so the witches are on our side we need witches and he's like yep and, but the council's the, the witch council, council is the only way to get them um, and he tells her about Serafina, and he's like, if she, if we can get her a message, I'm sure she'll, uh, you know, she'll help us in our fight to to go get the kids. And uh, then they, then they go and meet, meet Doctor Lance Alias, and he's a, you know, a, sh- a short, round in the middle, bald. He, he, I don't, I don't know. He looks like what, like a Moroccan or something, like maybe North mm-hmm. African or maybe some kind of, some kind of ethnic European, like some kind of swarthy, dark European. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to sound defensive. <laughs> Just try to describe the guy. He might be a Turk or something like that, but definitely like, uh, got some brown in him. And yeah, he looks like any person you would expect to be randomly accompanying Indiana Jones to whatever his next adventure definitely is. Definitely is wiping his brow under a fez. And mm-hmm. Indy, we must <laughs> we must get to our destination. Yeah, totally. He's definitely that guy. Uh, so he serves him some tea, and he's kind of uh, obstinate a little bit when 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 Quorum's tell them about their mission like we need to get these kids and the magisterium is you know and he's like I don't want no smoke with the magisterium you know I, I'm here to keep the peace between you know we ain't got no you know we, we ain't got no smoke with the magisterium and we don't want none and Coram looks him dead in his face and he's like they're stealing our kids 
kids. This war is on all of us. And 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 at that when when Lanzale when Doctor Lanzalius said his line about you know like this isn't our fight, his snake demon made its first appearance and like kind of came out of his from around his neck and shoulder area and poked out under his chin and hissed and did a little and that's when Coram looked him in his face and said this is on us this is on all of us and after he made his like intense uh, he's like I know Serafina will want to be a part of it um and then Lance Elias takes a breath and goes and then tells him the children don't remain here for long basically Charleston's a a stopping point on their way to taking the kids to north, uh, uh, to the north, to the station, or as the witches call it, Bolvanger. And he talks about intercision. I think last week I called it incision, but it's intercision. And Lyra, when he starts mentioning intercision and the station, you remember she saw those uh, blueprints. So it's it seemed like it all hit her like, oh, okay, I, I know what I'm. I know what I'm dealing with, but 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 with the snake demon, when he kind of like let his guard down, you know, stop being a chump, like shame my fight. When he kind of went and gave up the information, like yeah, it's just a stopping point. The snake went back behind his neck or wherever he, you know, wasn't noticeable again. So I I, I was noticing how the demons, what they do when they're human, is talking. And I also noticed it was something else that uh, somebody on uh, another podcast brought up that that I noticed with Mrs. Coulter when she fought, when she was fighting Benjamin DeRoyter last week, that she had that, well, I was calling it weird kung fu, when she sat on his back and was like chopping him in the back. But it was kind of like a guerrilla style, and I said it to you in, in Friday in the IM like a day or two later, that she, that... I think they want to get across, when they can, the demons and the human similarities. So, the other podcast talked about when, remember, I think it might have been episode two, when Boreal confronted Fra Pavel the first time when he got the information that we hear the Egyptians have her, talking about Lyra. He, like, went around, like, Boreal went behind him and then like poked his head around the guy's shoulder and then went around the other side of him very snake-like and I was like oh yeah I did notice it but it didn't click until uh, Ian or Amy or one of the Travis or it's 800 people his names I have not all committed to memory yet um, but somebody else said and I was I noticed it so I'm noticing I'm taking note of how the demons interact with their human and with other people when their human is interacting with other humans. Yeah, I thought about a lot watching this today. Harry Potter with uh, Voldemort and Nagini, the way they had his snake uh, kind of like looping around and always lurking, but it was a giant snake, not like this one. Sure. So they did a really good job of that, and I think uh, for me that was really cool to kind of see how each of the demons and then even with Serafina Pecolas later you, you you have the you're, we're starting to hear from them more he was real yes that was another thing I, I was going to bring up we definitely got because this was not a very pan focused 
Like we got Lyra, but we didn't get a ton of of Pan till later. Um, right. Especially vocally. I mean, he was always there, and we got Sulfonax. We got to see got to see her again. She looked a little. When you got to see her, not just sitting in one spot, you could tell she just had some more, a little bit, a little bit more regal, regalness mm-hmm. to her. Uh, so so Lansalius agrees. Like, okay, it, our kids are affected too, and everybody in Charleston just looks up blind eye because they don't want no trouble from the magisterium or from the appellation board or the magisterium and they get up to leave and lance alias goes uh yeah if you don't mind could i see the alethiometer like i hear you have an alethiometer then you put two and two together like and he also said i have spies all over charleston and you realize the guy mm-hmm. on the balcony it was it was probably somebody that got him a message relatively quickly um, yeah no one has phones or, or, or instant communications. We meet the Galavespians. They have this long-distance communications. I don't know if Dr. Lansalius has access to something, but obviously he does, something that they just didn't um, show on screen. But when he says, when he says, yeah, you, I hear you're in possession of an alethiometer. Can I see it? Um and at this, and Coram left a lot of this. He told her as when they went in, follow my lead. But when she gave, when she started, uh, you know, uh, conversing with Lance Alias, he didn't like stop her. When no. he, when Lance Alias said, "Hey, can I see the uh, alethiometer?" Coram didn't shoot her a look like, "Be careful." He, uh, she, he, hey girl, he, he let her make the decision. And she right. showed him, and he and, and and Lance Alias is like, "Ooh, this is exquisite," and he's looking at it, and he basically is like, "Hey, if we're going to help you, if I'm going to help you and give you information, and you say you can read it, can you give me a demonstration? Can you give me a demonstration?" Because he brought up the books, like, "Hey, you ain't got no books, uh, you know." She's like, "I can read it, and I just can. Like, don't worry about it." So he wants a demonstration, and um, so they do the pl- cloud pine gimmick in the books. He had her. There were a row of cloud pine, and cloud pine is is the wood that is that they're you know the tr- the tradition that witches fly on a broom. Well, they fly on a piece of wood, and it's like a branch yeah. from the pine uh, cloud pine tree. And and in the books, it was outside. He said, "Go out there and and tell me which one belongs to Seraphina Pecola." And it was snowing, and there was a bunch of snow on the ground, so the scene visually was different. And when she goes out there to, she reads her lithiometer, and she goes out to find it, which one, Coram and Lansalius have a conversation, which they didn't have here, about how she, how the prophecy, they, they talk they talk about the witch's prophecy, because remember, he's the witch council, and she has a great, you know, journey ahead of her, but she can't know. They reiterate. But I guess they had they had the master of Jordan say this in episode one to the librarian, which was a scene we didn't get in the books. Um, so they just flipped who got who got to have the conversation, and it was uh, so in the book it was Coram and and Lansalius while Lyra went outside to figure out which sprig of cloud pine belonged to uh, Seraphina Pecola. But this time it's in his basement. They go in his basement. I love the way they did it. He there's just jars, and they look like specimen jars, and they're just full of pieces of a branch, and like they have 
uh, uh, various like um, le- like little leaves and stuff growing on them. And it's it's boggling because you're like, how can this? How can those things stay alive? They all look fresh and right. green inside this inside a jar, make a mason jar, or a specimen jar in a dark basement. But they come down. And it's there. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these bottles on shelves. And she opens up her lithiometer. She fiddles with some some uh, with her knobs. And she gets her answer, and she says she picks one off the shelf, and she's like, "This is this is the one that belongs to Serafina." And he was like, <laughs> "Wow, <laughs> you know, you could tell he was trying to be un- he was trying to be reserved, but you could tell he he if he doubted her, that all went away, and he knew, okay, this is definitely." And they, again, he didn't say it in the book in the show. But he probably ran through his mind like, "Oh, this is definitely the the child from the witch's prophecy." Yeah, it was all just oh, I I enjoyed the heck out of first seeing her make the process, and second, you you mentioned it a minute ago, but I really like how everyone keeps going back to the fact, even the uh, I want I want to say it was earlier in the episode, like the first six minutes or so after we met uh, Lee where they kept harping on the book. Oh, it was the previously. It was the pre when they were talking about she doesn't have the books and yeah. she is just like she's that quarterback. They're like, she doesn't know the playbook. She's just running around like no idea. She's like actually she's basically if you if you guys watch football, she's Deshaun Watson breaking down a defense in the post game. It's like, yeah, you know, when I look at the cloud, it's obviously this. When I look at you know, when I see my mom, it's this one. When I see my yeah. dad, it's this and one. And we're all like, looking oh. at these symbols like and it's like the, it's it's basically when Neo first got to out of the Matrix, and what's his face looked into the, the all the the green numbers and stuff, and he's like, oh yeah, you know when it says that, and he's like, how can you read that? He's like, yeah, at this point, all I see is redhead, blonde, you know, brunette, and 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 I I hope they get across in the next episode at least that the more she does it, the easier it gets, like anything. Right, like she's just only going to get better and faster at reading this thing. And the, you know, the best thing about the alethiometer, they kind of they've kind of talked about it a little bit, but which would make it even more if they. I don't know if they have the time because we only have three episodes left. Uh, uh four, Five, six, four, seven, eight, four eight. episodes left. I'm sorry. Uh, the 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 I'm fact say, that short man episode boy, <laughs> there's a mo. I, I'm sorry, I was thinking of uh, Watchmen. That has three episodes left. Gotcha. We we got four more greatness. But how many multitudes of meaning you have for each symbol? And she's getting it first time, but, first kill. But like, for real, bang, for bang, real bang, though, bang, Rich. Bang. By the time we get to the end of book three, uh, Amber Spyglass, she still doesn't know. A- you know, probably yeah. 1% of the potential... Remember, the, the meanings are infinite, so I guess you could never know. And it, you, But yeah, she, that's the, That's what I mean. Like, the more you... The more she learns, which, again, y'all gonna have to fast forward probably about a smooth... I'd say two minutes. But when we look at the books, and particularly, I'm thinking Secret Commonwealth, mm-hmm. the year she puts in learning everything for the lithiometer, to me, it feels like the person that, like was a natural sculptor and then went to sculpting class and now can, can't even make a ball of clay. 
like compared to where or they it's were like before. Doctor Strange without the accident. Yes. Oh wow, that's perfect. You know, that's like, perfect. Like I know how to make my, I know how to set my intention. I, I can do. I, I just, I, it just doesn't work. I, yeah, like inside, I know how to make myself feel and make my mind go blank. It just doesn't work like it did when I was twelve and on this adventure through the north and wherever. So, um, before they leave, she being again, I love when they bring these. I, they do a very good job of bringing very important lines from the book to TV. So she goes, what question aren't we asking that we should? And that's when he says, you need to rec- you need to acquire the services of an armored bear. There's one here. He was, uh, um, I don't think they, he gave him the full line about how he was tricked and, and stuff, but um, he, she was basically saying, he basically said the townsfolks don't want him to go because he's way too valuable. But if you go to Emerson's bar or whatever, he's there. His name's Yorick Bernison. And that's when you get the first mention of York. And in the next scene, Corm and Lyra are, you know, searching for York behind this bar. And they're just yelling out for him. And you hear you hear a low a low growl, but he's not answering back. And uh, and then they finally, you know, hey, can we talk to you? We got, uh, you know, we get, we. They basically offered offered him uh, employment, and he said, uh, he says we need we need fighters, or in all probability we will. Uh, we're going north till we find the place uh, where the children are being kept captive, and when we find them, there'll surely be a battle. And York's just growling. He's like, "What are you doing here? The metalworks and the metalworks." And then you see him for the first time. I'm in Brooklyn. Oh, his voice. He is York from the vo- from the books. Yes. I don't yes. know how they did it. If it's the same guy, they just were like, "Please be York." But I was like, Hester's different. Obviously, the human uh, actors are are, are not going to sound like they're counterparts from an audiobook that was you know produced 15 years ago or whatever 20 years ago but they got this oh it's so close and so good to to the to the audiobook full production version of York so Lyra speaks up what kind of work is that for Pierncer Bjornin you know like a war bear ice bear you're out here making you know metal you know carving up metal stuff for these idiots and then Corm's like you should you should be a pr- uh why aren't you on the ice hunting seals and walruses and and collecting great prizes in war and York's like I know who and then he fakes a full appearance like first he all you saw was his snout and and some of his head poked from behind a, a blockage then he boom starts lumbering out and he goes I know who the people you speak of the child cutters and um, he talks about the people with Trollison that don't see or pretend not to see but I see and uh, and Lyra says are you and are you a coward like they are and he gets in her face a coward and starts sniffing and smelling and she stands there and 
stoic and doesn't move a muscle. He's, you know, six inches from her face with his big polar bear face. And then he gives a little breath, and then she startles back a little bit. And I guess he earned her, he, or she earned his respect, and she, she goes, we need you. And he's like, I am not for sale. And that's how the scene... Uh, is that how the scene ended? That's how I have it ending in my notes. Yeah. But she's a little disappointed. She's just like, what? Like, Because <laughs> you know she had it built up in her head. Hey, you want to go get these kidnappers and these child, you know, people hurting kids? Sure, let's go, little girl. And she's just disappointed that, that, that he said no and walked away. Then we get that overhead shot of the magisterium. Just this looking all kinds of fascistic. Uh, Coulter and her monkeys walking down this long corridor. She takes a breath before entering. She's walking with... Uh, she's walking with um, the assistant of Father McPhail, who was in her apartment. Who had the... Uh, he has like a beetle as a demon. And he's like... You know, there's... Uh, and I'm looking for his beetle, and I don't see it. I'm looking on his neck and his hair. Uh, it could be just on his shoulder or whatever. You know, blending, blending in with it. Yeah. Like Boreal said, we don't need to show him off all the time. Um, but yeah, so... Oh, and helping with your voice actor. Hmm. He is a uh, voice actor that does a lot of video games mm. and he also to your earlier point on set dressed with a bear costume like a little bear like jacket <laughs> could you imagine him showing up with the with the Sammy Guevara style like polar bear oh my god <laughs> every day on wow. set just being a whole piece like he's in a bo- he's in a booth he's not he's a voice actor <laughs> he's not like on set outside doing stuff I doubt, unless they need like conditions to be right and windy. I don't know. I, but I'm sure they could do all that in post, you know, in 2019. Mm-hmm. So he's just in this <laughs> tight booth <laughs> with a sweltering polar bear head on his head and shoulders. Just oh, and he would go on set too. He would go on set instead of the puppet for the people for Yorick scenes. Okay, okay. Just yelling, because he's like, yelling yeah. from the sidelines. I am not for sale. <laughs> and and then they said he would. Uh, I was reading a Newsweek article real quick because I wanted to see what the if he had done the book. You because know, obviously he sounds so good. He sounds so, but it's with bad. Whoever the gentleman was that did the Dark Materials was just basically a number one greatest voice, like the greatest dad ever ever in terms of making voices. Yeah. And yeah, for him, he would even he got not bored, but I guess he wanted to help out, so he did other people too. Like, hey, you guys, you guys need a demon? I'm here. I'm a demon here, demon dude. That's what I'm doing. Mm. We get we get Coulter and the McPhail's assistant walking down this long flight of steps. There's like these other like uh, uh, two dudes that like walk up the steps and like stop. And I th- and I think we're supposed to because she's a woman. Like, oh, 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 woman's here. Especially this woman that we don't, you know, that we're all, like, kind of, like, weirdly infatuated and, 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 uh, attracted to in some various ways. So she just, and she said in, a, in an episode before how she loves making men uncomfortable. 
and that's just that's where her power is with with a lot of with a lot of this so uh they walk they they my father mcphail is there they have a conversation um his little gecko demons running around and um she basically he's like i thought i was clear and she's like yeah you were <laughs> you were you know uh He's like, what? Try to keep your head down, show some restraint. That that. She, he's like, you know, you express it all the most eloquently. And he goes, and yeah, not a few days later, you invade a college, protected by a scholastic sanctuary. Uh, you undermine a centuries-old relationship. And she's like, yes, yes, yes. That was very unfortunate. <laughs> and she just, she's just like, he has, well, he's wide-eyed at her. I guess insolence. You would, you would. Call yeah, he's just shook that she would be that <laughs> he came in, openly yeah. brazen. Yeah, and especially considering the Cardinals two seconds from entering. Cardinal walks in, she curtsies to him, and you know, hello, Cardinal. And he goes, "It's good to see you again, Marissa." So, I think this is the first time we get to hear her first name. I think. Yes, uh, this was something my again in the books that was held. I mean, maybe book two we found out her name was Marissa, but it was a. It certainly wasn't book one, and this isn't a big, nowhere near a big or any even a small deal. But it's just cool, like oh, we get the you know Marissa Coulter. Okay, Cardinal comes in, and she's like, "How are you going to punish me?" And he's like. Well, first he's like, "Can I get anything for you? I know how much you like your sustenances, water, tea, food." She's like, "I arrived fed and watered." Just skip to the part where you reveal my punishment. Uh, and then he he chuckles a little bit, like punishment. You know what a what a way of putting it. What a strange what's such a strange word. I don't intend to punish you. And she's like, I'm sure that's not true. And she was right, because he then punishes her by stripping her of her of the oblation board. And she she said, I'm passing he says, I'm passing the leadership of the oblation board to Father McPhail, who excuse me, it seemed like in that moment did not know that was coming. He he seemed kind of taken aback. Or at the very least, taken aback because he <clears throat> he just said it right in front of her. But I, I think he just genuinely didn't know he was gonna get the, the 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 general the, the gob the general oblation yeah. board. Um, he continues, does the cardinal? Um, oh no, she after his spiel starts giving him a condescending slow clap, <laughs> and she goes beautifully She's done. So now shall I, now shall I tell you why you won't? Basically, why you won't strip me of the oblation board and take away all my stuff? Because tomorrow I'll be going north. <laughs> He's looking at her like, woman, are you Excuse out of the me? side of your mind? She's like, I have Lord Asriel. The Cardinal looks at Father McPhail like, because in the first episode, Father McPhail was talking to Boreal. And it seemed like they were plotting to kidnap, like, Boreal's like, he's headed north, you know. You know, to continue his dust research, hintity hint hint. Basically, like, we'll intercept him and, and, and do something. Well, she got to him first, and they looked at each other like, holy crap. You know, 
she got one on yeah. us. Like, we can't do anything now because she has a trump card. She says he's in a jail uh, controlled by bears who are, in this case, controlled by me. Woo-hoo! That's a hell of a trump card to have. An entire yeah. army of bears. A, king, a kingdom of bears. I will travel north and I will give him to you as an act of service. And she gives a little bow. And in return, you will allow me to pursue our project until its end, meaning the intercision and the kid cutting. And you will allow me to ask one question uh, to Fra Pavel and his alethiometer. And she's just looking him dead in his eyes. And he goes, that seems like a high price. And she goes, without missing a, missing a beat, for Azrael, it's cheap. And he's just boiling with rage now shall we yeah. sit and discuss how to proceed please and she pats the seat she pats the, the seat neck the bench next to her yeah she's like, too much please she's have a seat gentlemen and whether she's got these whether she's got a man or men wrapped around her finger or children wrapped around her finger with sheer charm and wit and cleverness or sheer charm, wit, and cleverness focused in a different way, like just a power move, like yes, kid, will. kidnapping a guy and going, oh, no, 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 no. You you, you, you need this guy. Um, so, yeah. She's like, yeah, it's mine now. I, I run this. And then we go back to Charleston. Charleston. And they've made the, they've uh, they've made their they've made their way, um, or, or not made their way, but they're you know comfortable, and and Coram's like telling Lyra like, fam, you got to be careful, you know. How did you know you could trust Doctor Lanzalius? And she basically goes, look, in the short time that I've been on this adventure, I've. Uh, I've I've learned not only who to trust, but or I've learned that not trusting anyone is going to get me in some serious trouble. Basically, like I just can't go around not trusting anyone. And so she's so basically, I have to learn who the hell I can trust. Like she and she says, like you and 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 John Fah and the rest of the Egyptians and Doctor Lance Alias. And then she asks about Serafina, like what happened with y'all. And he explains, you know, this was a long time ago, and we had a son, and there was some kind of pestilence or, or disease that went around. The kid died. I, I don't remember if he died, like, as a baby, a toddler, or what. Um, but he wanted to mourn in peace while Serafina wanted to tear the world apart. And, you know, he hasn't seen her since. And... After he's like, you know, he starts crying. He's like, after we buried my boy. Oh, I think he was saying he hasn't seen her since they buried the boy. And yeah. and Lyra comforts him, puts his puts her hand on his on his hand, and you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm so sorry, and just 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 there for him. And he's like, ah, you know, tries to get himself, um, get his composure. And he's like, yeah, it was a long time ago, and you know. So they have a really touching, sweet scene and it's really this is the best relationship I think so far in the show 
Corum and 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 Lyra. And it makes sense because it was the sweetest, most trusting relationship she had in the book to where 20 years or not 20 years later, but 10 years, you know, since, you know, she's this age in the secret Commonwealth, she has to find him. And he's even, you know, an older man at that point who doesn't, who doesn't at this point walk, walk, um, walk much anymore, but he's still lively in his brain and everything. But, uh, so they're really developing this relationship, uh, with her and Fartacorum, uh, very well. I really like it. Uh, then we got Lee walking to the local watering hole. He and, and this was this and this is when you really start. Hester shined. They walk in. There's a bartender pouring some whiskey. There's a uh, you know just bar full of randos and retrobates all just drinking he's like yeah what they say about the north wherever you go is guaranteed to be a bar full of men who should be at home but aren't any of you gentlemen in the mood for a game of hazard like this is his interest no and nobody says anything he's like no he walks over how about a game of flippity flop it's real simple there are three pots and he starts <laughs> laying out cards to these two guys who are paying him no attention. Clearly, everybody either just doesn't know him and doesn't like strangers, or knows him and don't mess with him at all. They're like this damn Scoresby Aaronite guy. We heard about him. So he goes over to the bar, wipes off the bar, then sits his hat in the spot where he uh, <laughs> wiped off. Like what a, <laughs> you know, like is he being prissy as well? So he continues talking to everyone and nobody. And he goes, I'm looking for a bear. He's kind of royal looking. And then they show these are the two two set these are the two reactions I focus the most on. When he mentions the bear, two twin girls or young women look at each other and then leave. Then there's a tartar looking guy with long uh, graying hair sitting at the bar like drinking a, 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 a shot and those were the, the the reactions they focused on in his immediacy after saying a bear and he looks at one guy you know what a bear looks like huh thick coat big teeth cute little nose and he says well at this point you're either being ignorant or willf- willfully ex- obstructive obstructive and the guy punches him in the face. And Hester goes, Lee, kick him. And then Lee kicks him in the balls. And then another guy, like, grabs Lee from behind and puts his head, like, on the bar. And Hester goes, you came in here and started a fight. Now you're losing the fight. <laughs> and then uh, she's like, it's your turn. Lee, do something. The guy throws a punch. He ducks and he punches the beam behind him. And Lee, this whole time, is telling him, watch your back. Here comes a bottle. Look out! Punch! Duck! Kick! And he's following her instructions. He, he, the guy tries to hit him with a bottle. He pushes a guy in front, and the, his friend gets hit instead. And he just fights with an entire bar—not an entire bar. It's like three or four guys trying to uh, trying to beat him up. And then 
and the best line of this whole thing, he gets on the bar and tries to climb up to the up to the balcony. And Hester goes, "You can't go high. If you go high, they're going to get you." And basically mm. like if like in horror movies or thrillers, right. like why are you running up? Why are you going upstairs? Just you need to you need to get out. Like why are you going up and trapping yourself in this house or in this whatever? And they grab him by the ankles and pull him out. Hit him in the back with a stool. I thought that was super egregious. Like, and uh, totally unnecessary. Like, oh, this is like... You know how in 2019, our, our Ikea stools... We, we'd buy an Ikea stool in three years, that thing's in shambles. And some old guy would say, they don't make them like they used to. He's talking about this stool. That they just, I was going to say broke over Lee's back. No, 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 no. That thing is, would take a lot more to break that thing. So they hit him with a real wooden stool and then throw him out of the bar. Quit asking about bears, Aeronaut. (laughs) And Lee grabs his back. And then Hester sarcastically goes, yeah, that show them. And then he pulls out all the watches that he stole while fighting those guys. Just a handful of like four or five watches. <sighs> and 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 Lee the pickpocket comes comes back. Um. And in my notes, Hester is in all caps the best hype man. And then why is Lee such a pickpocket? And then in the next scene, we got Mrs. Coulter cashing in on her favor immediately she heads into Fob Havel's office or the, the alethiometer reading room it's laid out on this like little uh, little thing little display table or pillar and he's very uncomfortable and does not want to do it but obviously he got orders and he's like what's your question she's like it's a simple one who is Lyra Balakwa and he's like, excuse me? Surely, of all the questions... She just asked the questions, Fra Pavel. Because I think the the, 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 the hesitation is, well, you know who she is. She's your daughter, or she's, you know, like, you know her. Like, what kind of question is that? But it's not his job to question what, que- you know, like she said. Just ask the question. You know, idiot. And she's treating him like that. Just all kinds of disdain in her in her voice and, and everything you had one job and he lets and then he, he looks at the books and then they cut to uh, then they cut to Lyra walking through Charleston and she walks past the bar in 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 Arson's bar or whatever it's called and Lee Scoresby still out there ranting and raving does anybody know where I can find a bear and everybody's just ignoring him because it's their, in their best interest to ignore them. And Lyra and Coram ask, "What the what, You know, what are you doing?" And he's like, "You know, I'm looking for York." And he's like, "Will he want to see you, this bear?" And he's like, "Yeah, I hope so. This place is no this this place. Charleston is no place for for uh, for York. He's a fighter, you know, and he just gives his." Shows his respect for York, and he and he shakes Coram's hand. He's like, "Lee Scoresby, good to meet you. What's you know, what's your deal?" And he's like, "I don't know. I'm just following her lead." 
and and Lyra, and he's like, "So what do you uh, what do you want with the bear?" And he goes, mm, "You know what? I'm not going to tell you because." Or, or no, no, no. Where is he? He asks, and she goes, "I'm not going to tell you because we need him, and we can't, we can't have you stealing him away from us." Essentially. <laughs> uh, anything, anything about, uh, 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 yeah, that that interaction with Lee, Lyra, and uh, and Fartercorum. I think it's just a harbinger for things to come. I really like how Lee is just, oh. I mean, I can't underscore how well he is mixing into the group. Uh, like, Lyra is just, we're starting to see a little bit of the silver tongue, but we're seeing her, and for such a young yeah, actress. because she immediately recognized, you know, like, you know what? Uh, I don't really know Let who you are. Just, score, yeah. me. So I'm going to keep my cards close to the vest. And it was just that thing, like she was saying to Corm earlier, like, you know, knowing who to trust and who not to. Although we no. all know she can, she could trust uh, uh, Lee. He's just going to have to earn it. Next, we have Corum and John Fa walking. He's walking through town. Uh, Corum confides in Fa about the doc, about uh, Doctor Lancelius. He says, "You know, we got the message to to Seraphine. You know that he's going to send the message." And then uh, up in the sky, it's a bird, and he goes. Corum goes, it's Seraphina's demon. And and on my second watch, I'm looking for Cor- Fa- John Fa's reaction. And his whole body reacted. He goes, what? So it's true? They can, se- they can separate? Uh, they can send their demons on long distances? And he's like, yeah, clearly. So Corum's having a conversation with Kaiza. They bow to each other. He goes... I've changed uh, a lot in, in, you know, since the last time I saw you, Kaiser. He's like, you have Corum Van Texel. Again, you don't get Corum's full name for a while. I don't know if right. it, I don't know. No, 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 you don't get it till LaBelle Sauvage. That's when you meet, that's when you meet, well, from this point, 10 years younger Corum. Uh, but yes, you don't get, you don't know his name until LaBelle Sauvage. I'm pretty sure it's LaBelle Sauvage where you, where you learn his name. So again, there's just nothing that, that impacts the story terribly. Uh, it just lets you know a lot earlier that Farter is a title, not a name. His name is Corum Van Texel. He is Farter Corum Van Texel. It's just a matter of like, well, what does Farter mean? He's not, it's not father like I always thought mm-hmm. until I saw because I didn't, you know, listening. It's a, it's it's weird because book readers don't know how stuff's pronounced a lot of the times, and audiobook people don't know how anything's spelled. So I have to ask Friday, how do you spell? Could you spell uh, the hypercharasmians, please? Can you spell this, that, and the other? And I hear podcast folks that are only book readers who can't produce, who can't pronounce names to save their lives. And I'm just like, no, that's not how you pronounce that. No, sweetie, that is not. That is mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, who, who did, just, yeah, some stuff that to me is like, that's such an easy one. But, you know, they just see it on the pr- print it and they just phonetically or just however their, their brain comes up with it. Um, 
like I, I told you, how I don't like Michael Sheen, who's the, who's the. They don't do a full cast for for the next trilogy, for the Book of Dust trilogy. But Michael Sheen is uh, is the narrator. He's great, and he named his daughter Lyra, by the way. Um, but he, um, I forgot what I was going to say about him. Sorry. It's okay. It happens. I mean, number of times yeah. you had to pass the baton. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, I literally, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For, like in, for me, I think in the middle of my sentence, it just fell out. <laughs> it's all right, completely just gone. Um, so, so again, here they're talking to Kaiser. Kaiser fills him in on the bad guys. Basically, they're four days away north, uh, at a station at a place called the station, or as the witches call Ballvanger, and. And then um, he Quorum turns to Fa and is like, Balvanger means field of evil or something like that. So he's like, in the things that he knows Fa doesn't understand, he, he'll turn and go, oh, you know, this, that, and the other. So Fa, who basically was silent the whole time, because this is Quorum and Kaisa's conversation. And, um, but but at, the end, at the end of the conversation, um, Basically, um, basically, Kaiser said, "You have our support. You won't have all the witches' support because some support the the child cutters, and some are in league with the magisterium, which tells you right then and there how hypocritical and piece of crap the uh, the magisterium is. Not that you're, you know, surprised that this giant, powerful." monolithic entity is corrupt in all types of ways but you know they'll oh it's heretical and witches and demons and evil and blah 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 but when it's when it can keep their power solidified they will interact and dance with the heretical all day yeah yeah it's really interesting because now that you're everyone's getting to see like we mentioned in the very first episode like getting to see the bears getting to see the lithiometer getting to see but getting also to see the framework of the organization from top to bottom because there's so many tendrils and i think the more you learn that now by the time we get to something like either uh secret commonwealth or amber spyglass or something like that you can see the how you could have a rogue arm within such a large organization? Oh, I think a rogue arm. I mean, by the time we get to the secret, yeah, I mean, we got rogue, we got rogue we're dealing appendices. With, we're dealing yeah, it's with like, rogue hey, fingers, rogue hangnails. We got fandom limbs. Like by the time we get down there, it's like, hey, and I don't even want to say arm come from. I don't even want to say rogue, as in they have different ideas trying to go against the magisterium. No, 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 no. Rogue, as in. They're trying to solidify power so they could suck up to the magisterium and be seen by the magisterium with favor. You know, so right. the the general oblation board would be feuding with the uh, what was the what accounting? Was, no, 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 no. What was the what was the what was Marissa Coulter's first? The League of Saint Alexander. Yes. 
So that was her the first organization she belonged to, and you learn about them in the in La Belle Sauvage, which is ten years before what we're what we're dealing with now. So Lyra's a baby in that, and Mrs. Coulter is a younger woman, and uh, she's a part of this group called the uh, this like eh, sort of secret order, secret society of the 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 the, 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 the League of League Saint, of Saint Sebastian, Saint Alexander. And, Alexander, I'm sorry. And yeah, so that league would be feuding with this, you know, all these different like, and that's kind of how the Magisterium wants it. Sort of like how Vince McMahon in the '90s would play Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels, you know. So he, so their rivalry on TV would be even more bitter and real come across as real because in real life they really hated each other so when they went out on tv or cut promos about when i see you this sunday at survivor series i'm going to kick your butt and it would and, you know it would it would it would have that like mm, oomph to it um so okay another thing about father father quorum at the end of the scene kaiser says he, he asks will you take us there and she says seraphina pecola will support you and whatever whatever path you take and flies away, basically like we got your back. And Corum again, fifteen minutes after he did earlier, just welled up in like this prideful. Like he was, he obviously was not sad. He just got really good news. But seeing Kaiser, it like let you know that this Serafina person means a lot. So if you if you don't know who Serafina Pecola is as a viewer and you're just fresh watching this and this is and this is all new to new to you, you're going this Serafina Pecola person is very important. Look how it made this guy react. He's like <gasps> welling up and just acting his ass off. Uh, then we get the Aurora. There uh, 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 Lyra and Pan are are hanging out by the ship looking up at the auroras just taking it all in um tony costa joins um but before tony came was this when she saw yeah this had to be she she sees for just a half a second the city and the in the lights the city and the aurora chittagazi as you know book readers know what it, oh that's it they call it sitagazi because it's spelled c i t t a Z Z E or whatever it is, and they pronounce it because all they see it on the pr- paper is C I T T sit, but it's you know it's got that Italian uh, aff- effect on it. Chitigazi. Um, so she sees Chitigazi through through the aurora ever so briefly. Pan is just staring up at it and all. Um. She likens it to the alethiometer, like guiding her. Tony Costa makes an appearance. They t- they have a bit of a conversation, and this is what I I noticed because as Tony walks up, he hears the last thing she says. He's that Lyra says the pan and answers it, and and kind of startles Lyra out of her like trance on this on the star or on the aurora. But I I, I noted I put in my notes talking to yourself in this world must be so common because you're not talking to yourself I mean you are talking to yourself but you're talking to your to your demon so you must catch people all the time just chit chattering so how do you how can this, this world tell people who are schizophrenic because that's one of the signs you know a person talking to like who's he talking to that guy's you know got some kind of mental issues so here you're 
you're there's always you're always com, uh, you always have a companion, which leads me to last week's conversation about how there are no there are no uh, there are not a ton of animals around, and I bet yeah. in this world, yeah, not a lot of people have pets. The pets people do have are probably substitutes for. And we find that we, you know, this is a bit, a bit spoilery, and I won't go into it. But like in in the Secret Commonwealth, where people don't have demons, nope, for reasons, various reasons, intercision, they left, uh, whatever. And some people would have like I could see someone having a, a, a pet. Actually, there's a black market for for demons, but I'll let you you get there in your own time when you read the books. Um, so in this world, animals, cats are probably e- utilitarian. They're just they have a function. They catch mice. They 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 keep pests down, pest control, and that's it. Dogs are there for us when we hunt and and for protection against intruders and and, and ver- of various sorts. And that's it because pets in our world are for companionships are for for yeah for companionship. But in that world, you always have a companion. It's yourself, but you are never alone. And um, so, yeah, I just—it just would make sense that a bunch of, there aren't a bunch of pets walking, running around. Cats are in there wild. There aren't a bunch of uh, puppy mills and stuff because it's just not a thing they do. Um, next scene, we get Lee, who who found uh, Yorick. Who was like munching on some like seal bones or something? Uh, they talk about how it's been three years since they've seen each other. In the book, it had been at least a decade, but in the book, they're both much older. In the book, Lee's probably about fifty, and York's probably about the same. And when you read some up, once upon a time up, up once upon a time up north, it's a prequel. It's like basically in the chronologically, it's the first book in the HDM universe and Lee and Yurik meet in the Arctic somewhere north, maybe Trollison, I don't remember um, and they're both young men and they're both looking for adventure as men in their 20s, you know are uh, so here, since they're, you know Lin-Manuel Miranda's you know, his Lee scores we could, could be could be in his early 30s, probably his mid to late 30s, but could be. Yeah. If you if they said Lee Scoresby was 31, I'd be like, I would not blink twice. Uh, no. So it's been thir- three years since him and York have, have, have talked. York, oh, this is what they didn't do in the first scene with Lyra and York. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't drinking a bucket of spirits. In the book, they had a guy, because he, he lives behind a bar, and they pay him in spirits. <laughs> he works, and they wild. and they keep him. There's, and they, yeah. Here's some bitters for you. Yeah, here, here's a, here's a bucket of vodka. Uh, so a guy comes out in the book, opens up the back door of the bar, puts the bucket of booze down, and York basically gr- growls the man back, like ah, and scares him back into the bar just to be a dick. It seemed, you know. Like the guy's bringing you your booze, and you're like slapping the screen door as he like gets back in, and he pick. They talk about how he takes his hook claw, lifts up the pail, 
and in like three or four guzzles chugs an entire pail of vodka or something and Lyra could smell the smell the booze on his breath when he talked and stuff so we did not get that in that scene but here we still don't get him drinking it I, I wonder if that's just a if that was a a CG kind of thing like where it just didn't look good or if they don't want Yurik they just don't want him to be that character but he did say I'm drunk and this is not a good time for you to be pestering me Lee Scoresby I ain't seen you in three years you show up I'm drink. I'm drunk and eating my seal bones <laughs> and he's ashamed and you can tell he's ashamed he got tricked He's a, he was a king. He got tricked out of his throne. Then he got tricked out of his armor. He's feeling all kinds of silly. Um, and this is where I wrote in my in my notes. York sounds just like the audiobooks. And he, he wants basically wants nothing to do with Lee. And 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 there was nothing Lee could do in this moment besides uh, you know besides let that let him let him be. And, you know, he don't want nothing to do with you, Lee, so keep it moving. So what's Lee's next move? To try to finesse his... To try to finesse York's armor out of the town authority. Who have it hidden somewhere. And he he goes to this man's office, the same cop guy or whoever authority figure Lee Scoresby ran into when he first got to Charleston. And, uh... And 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 he's just stirring up so much crap. Lee is by going there. He's got a he has a bill of payment, which is obvious. But one and this is I think why they got across the pickpocket stuff to show you he's a he's an all around con man. Like he's a good guy, and he and he does cons for for good, or you know not for say he does cons not for, for not evil. Because yeah. if he's stealing, he always from, can find the angle. If he's, he's always looking for that angle. Yeah, because if he's stealing from somebody or being dishonest, it's not good for them, you know. But but right. in the grand scheme of things, he's not being evil. He's he's doing it for altruistic or to get by reasons uh, for his next meal or to pay for fuel for his boat or or for his air air balloon. Uh, not that that's a good reason to steal. I need gas, so I'm going <laughs> to snatch this lady's purse. <laughs> you can't be like, well, Your Honor, I, you know, I couldn't get to work. I ain't no gas. Uh, they're going to be like, yeah, that's uh, six months in jail or whatever. Um, so he just, again, is just stirring up all kinds of crap. The guy's not buying it, by the way. He's like, nope, this is uh, protected by... by uh, you know, um, something. He, he and he goes. Well, actually, part uh, Article Three, Subsection Twelve B says of the uh, Property Attachment Act, and he just clearly is making stuff up. But he's convincing, and he's very fast talking, and he's and he and he sounds like he believes it. And the guy kind of has to not completely disregard him. And uh, but at the end of the day, he he doesn't uh, he can't he can't get the armor from the from the young man. And uh, yeah, bill of sale. 
stating that I, not Jörg Berenson, own his armor. He lost it to me in a game of cards, you see, and I've come to reclaim it. Nice. <laughs> like, it's not nice, because then the guy goes, yeah, the bear's armor belongs to the Magisterium. He, he pulls out files and all of the bunch of stuff of ownership, and that's when Lee goes into his, yeah, but the Possessions of, right, of, of Ownership Act of 1912 says in subsection 12A and blah, blah, blah. And he goes into a spiel. Like I said, he doesn't get the armor, and uh, the guy basically tells him to go piss up a rope. But in the meantime, he's st- the Possessions of Goods Act. Yeah. It's part three, subsection four, where it clearly states, quote, the possession of valuables belongs to the... And the guy just like, I don't don't doubt my intelligence, Mr. Scoresby. He's like, it's not your intelligence I doubt, Mr. Sizzleman. It's who paid you to write this. He's like, and how much will it cost you to rewrite it? He's like, now you be careful what you accuse me of. Lee just chuckles. He's like, oh, not even money will work. They've got you well controlled, do they? And he goes, whatever you're accusing me of, I will not stand for it. And he goes, oh, it's uh, it's always been a place for people. Uh, it's always been a, a pe- basically saying powerful places always have suck-ups and sycophants right. and bootlickers. My man pulls his gun out of a drawer and goes, I'd be very careful. But not in like a – he's not a tough guy. He's clearly a punk, and he has to pull out a gun. That he's still not even confident with. And Lee calls him out on it. I ain't gonna be stopped by the magisterium or anyone. Shame on you, Mr. Sizzleman. And he snatches his receipt and his forged bill of sale and leaves. And Mr. Sizzleman <laughs> puts his gun back in the drawer like, Oh, thank God I didn't have to I didn't have to use that. <laughs> you know, he's definitely that guy. Then we got Mrs. Coulter. Always. Yeah. Then we got Mrs. Coulter and her golden monkey and us in a I don't know if she's got this chartered Zeppelin all to herself, but she's riding in the lap of luxury in a in a Zeppelin. Ooh, I did mention miss that when she got to the Magisterium and before she got into the office of uh, with um, with Father McPhail and the Cardinal, the monkey tried to like when to like grab her hand, like can we hold hands? And she just smacked his hand away, sort of like Melania Trump did. To, Donald, yeah. <laughs> he was trying to hold her hand. Get, get out of here. <laughs> um. So yeah, so Ze- so Coulter's on a Zeppelin writing a letter to you for Ragnarsson, and that's the first, the first, not the first, because when she gets to Jordan College, she tells Lyra, "Well, I've fought a Tartar and I've negotiated with Ice Bears. This is so. I guess this is the second uh, kind of indication of her relationship with the bear. So again, she's, she's just writing a, a letter of like, Hey, I, you know, I need you and I'm on my way to ear for Ragnison. Um, John Fosler, they're ready. The Egyptians are ready to leave. Lyra's like, nah, fam, we can't leave without Yurik. We, we, we need him. And he's like, it's not going to work. Uh, we can't wait sit around and wait and try to change his mind we gotta get going plus we just got word that Azrael's been kidnapped and is being guarded by armored bears so this is a whole nother thing for everyone including Lyra to have to deal with like crap now my dad's who last week was the first time she meant she said his name when since she's known he was his, her father she said my father instead of my father 
Lord Asriel, she's kind of getting used to the idea that he's her dad. Now he's kidnapped and being held by by bears, which only goes to strengthen her resolve to go. We definitely need you, uh, uh, uh then. And he goes, it's the magisteriums everywhere. Uh, we we can't we can't risk it. Um. And then Fog goes, we don't want him. Talking about Yurik. We've made some inquiries. Yurik's being punished for fighting and tearing up the town. He was drunk. They managed to prize his armor away from him. He's a savage. And then he, uh. and then she pulls out the alethiometer and he goes, Lyra, that's not necessary. And Coram's like, let her, let her do it. She reads the alethiometer. She's like, no, he was tricked into, uh, into, into, into giving up his armor. Like they got him drunk. Says the alethiometer says they got him drunk and tricked him. No bear would normally drink spirits. He's like they tore. He tore through the police house and the bank. The only reason they didn't shoot him is because of his skills with metal, and you know he's valuable to the town. She's like, you don't need to check your alethiometer because you know I'm telling the truth. And she's kind of like, you know, he's like, I choose. He's like, as the king of the Egyptians, I choose who we who we who we fight along. And that's my final word. She looks to Coram. He's not there to like give her any support. So she basically knows she has to take it into her, her hands. Next scene. Hoo-hoo. First, we get our first boreal of this episode. He rolls up on Fra Pavel with all that boreal energy. Because he's totally, what is it, boreal because he's worth it. <laughs> Fra, mm-hmm. Fra Pavel was not worth it. He he grabs him and pushes him up against the uh, wall and is like, what did Mrs. Coulter want, want with you? And, you know, tell me everything. He's like, no, it's privileged information. He's like, oh, privileged information, huh? You wouldn't want me to expose you for all your filthy predilections would you and oh oh he needs he wants him to ask the alethiometer a question I want to know what Grumman discovered and he's like that's dissident that's heretical it's like it's not my it's like it's my job to understand heresy then he's like didn't ask the cardinal's permission He's like, I'm not asking the Cardinal. I'm asking you, Ratty. And he kept calling him Ratty. Like, so clearly, Boreal has been bullying this guy probably since Years. grade school. Yeah. And we're looking at decades. Not only is he, yeah, not they probably met in like emissary school or, or, or theology class or something in high school, and he's been kicking him around ever since. So, and then he. And not only does he is he a physically dominating him and 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 personality dominating him personality wise, he has dirt on him. And the guys they didn't say it, but when you say someone's when you talk about some clergy guy's filthy pre- uh, predilections, he's probably some kind of pedo. And no, we don't we don't know this. Oh, you want to take up for the uh, for Fra Pavel there, Richard? I think I think Fra Pavel just uh, <laughs> got in the wrong chat room. He thought it was cooking recipes, and you're just this Fra, is all Fra Pavel. Why don't you have a seat? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to buy cookies. 
So I noticed Boreal again shifting from side to side, going from from Fra Pavel's each side, just again continuing his snake-like thing. So basically, he's like, "I don't need his permission. I just need your consent. Will you deny it, or must I expose you to the world?" And he's like touching his shoulder and like I'm not I wouldn't even be surprised he's like because I will out of spite I and and now that oh and the spite lines like if you if I don't get my own way they are lover are probably former lovers that's got to be what it is why would you when you say I'll do it out of spite that means I'll be hurt it sounds like I'll be hurt too but I'm gonna do it to hurt you even if it I get some blowback pause considering wow <laughs> even if i get some blowback i'll do it and the way he's feeling him up as he's doing it i'm watching it now i think they were lovers or 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 in cahoots uh maybe they were both on, on jeffrey epstein's plane or something you know hanging out on jeffrey epstein's island and and boreal since he's got the smartphone clickety click little snitch <laughs> Wow! Burst shot! Burst shot! Burst! I mean, you're, you're taking a lot of conjectures. I'm telling you, Rich. And then he went and got him developed, and, and you know, got Thomas to to print him out. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. So yes, yeah, so he's got something major on uh, Ratty, as uh, as he called him. So he's like, I've rethought my question. I want you to ask, how can I find what Grumman discovered instead of what did Grumman discover? And then some people walk by, he lets him go, and then kisses his hand, and then slithers away. <laughs> and Fra Pavel knows he, you know, he just he's stuck. He's stuck. Uh, then we cut back to Trollison and Lyra and Pan are hanging out on the dock throwing rocks into 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 the water and Pan says why don't we ask the person who knows the bear the best <laughs> and she goes holy crap you're, you're a genius Pan and uh, they cut to Lee Scoresby who is you know it's I guess first thing in the morning he's headed down in his hotel There, oh there's that gray haired tartar again sitting at the bar and the two oh those two twin twin girls must work at the bar okay so they bring him a plate of like bacon and eggs and you know something else some toast I don't know and a thing of coffee here comes Lyra she uh she she <laughs> she says she's um she lies and says she's speaking for she represents Fa and the Egyptians, and she wants to hire Lee. And the whole time, she's just snatching his bacon off his plate piece by piece. Just a little brat. Like, she didn't even ask for the first one. And Hester looked at her like, bitch, is you crazy? You know, when she took the first piece of ham or yeah. bacon or whatever. Well, I mean, this has been a long time coming, so. Got to establish dominance. It's like Caesar. <laughs> just reach her something. She lucky she ain't get stabbed with a fork. Pull out a little clicker, like no. But she basically, this is again, she's getting her, she's getting her silver tongue on. Mm-hmm. She's like, do you play cards? 
she's like, I learned from the Jordan scholars that sometimes your weakest hand can be your biggest strength, and it can allow you to bluff so magnificently. And she's literally telling him that she's lying right to his face because she says she's representing the, uh, the Egyptians and they want to hire him and you just need to give me some information on how to how to deal with Jörg Berenson. And he's kind of skeptical and like, eh. Oh, come on. No, no. What happened? Oh, I, I, I hit my PlayStation controller and it started oh, okay. fast forwarding. Um. So he, Scoresby gives him gives him the gives her the deets. He's indebted to the town. Uh, they won't let him leave, and then she realizes, oh crap, they got his armor, and he's like, see, you didn't, you got that one, and didn't even, uh, didn't even need my help. And she asks, why, why, uh is the armor so important and this is a conversation Lyra and Yorick have in the books um, about like the, the armor being his soul because Lee says and looks at Hester and is like his armor to him means as much as Hester does to me and him, wow and him and Hester have a have a you know have a have a glance share a glance and he's like without his armor uh uh, you know, and that's when he says his armor means to me, is, uh, to me, to him is what uh, Hester does to me. And he's like, you mean like his armor's his demon? He's like, there's pieces of his soul in that armor. The Magisterium have it well guarded, something, something. He turns, looks at one of the Magisterium guards across the bar having a beer. And then he turns back. Lyra snatched his last piece of bacon and left. <laughs> He turned around like, oh, she's gone. Nope. And then he looks at his plate, and she stole my bacon. <laughs> she had been stealing his bacon the whole entire time. She ate all three pieces of his bacon. <laughs> like, damn it. So he, they head to, uh, they go, she, Pan and her f- go to find York. Oh, I, I did write earlier when they first got to Trollison, Pan in his, uh, what did I say? His winter form? Yeah. So the whole time he's like an Arctic fox or or something, uh, and it looked really cool. He didn't look as cool as the the Arctic fox that the, that the Skrilling that they met at the Arctic Institute had, but he he did a good job. So the front door, the front gate is obviously locked. Pan finds a little cut to the 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 squeeze through, and they go and uh, confront Yorick. They find she finds him like tearing up like a car door or some kind of sheet of metal, and uh, she finds him and they start having a conversation. She's like, "Why don't you just make your armor out of out of this?" And in the show, all he does is like kind of kick it aside, and you hear clang a little bit, and he goes, "This is worthless." In the book, he holds up one sheet extends a claw and slices it like a sli- like a sheet of paper and he goes yeah that was wild and he goes this stuff is worthless it's I can't you know sky iron I made I forged it's a it's a part of me basically and and, and you guys go and gentrify me and basically and Lyra's like well what if I could help you get it back 
and she pulls out the alethiometer. Um, I don't think he had the reaction. I think in the book he had an, a, a, a reaction to seeing the alethiometer. Remember, he builds things. He's an, He works with iron. He forged his own sky iron armor. So he works with metal. He's a metallurgist in, in, in all senses of the, of, of, of the profession. Um, but she, 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 she pulls out the alethiometer. She asks, basically, where can we find his armor? And she's like, oh, it's, it's in the center of town at the, uh, uh, in the church basement or wherever. Let me see. He's got it. She's got it. I want to see, because I, I missed it and I watched it on your, 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 your copy and I didn't have any captions. So he agrees, if you get get my armor, I'll come with you, but I have the right to take vengeance. If anybody tries to stop me from taking my armor, I'm going to kill them. She says, they die. And she goes, that's fair. <laughs> like, okay. He's like, but only if they try to hurt you. She, he says, good. Now where's my armor? So she sets her mind. She, she twists a couple knobs. Then let me see what she says she says okay then the, the, the needles are are moving around doing all kinds of stuff it's hidden the magisterium have it hidden it's in the cellar of the oratory okay I thought she said the center of the something the cellar of the okay so it's in the basement of the church he he uh, he rages. He just hauls ass across town. He knocks stuff over. There's he, he you know he's knocking people out of the way, or, or not like violently, but people kind of get in his way and stuff falls on them. Even Lyra gets like pinned between like some sheet metal and and that 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 gets knocked over and she's fine. She just pushed it out the way, but it showed that he was really raging. He goes to the oratory and they showed a shot from outside and one of the clergy guys runs out and then a bunch of cops uh there's a lot of random meat I have to assume since yeah. they're on the docks there's just meat and guts like laying around like what's going on in this trollison <laughs> and I have to assume a lot of it probably was for him they have to keep a giant you know two-ton polar bear fit uh and then stuff starts shattering the guy gets thrown out of the, the oratory window that mr sizzleman guy shows up with a bunch of his people york comes looking all majestic and regal full armor helmet chest plate back plate the whole nines lets out a nice roar they open fire on him he ducks his head and bullets just bounce off his armor. They have to reload. In the meantime, he rears up, smacks a bunch of them out of the way, and then, <laughs> and then he, he he like tackles Mister Sizzleman and puts a paw in it. I mean, it was it was really the mountain versus. Uh, 
<laughs> it was the mountain versus uh uh Oberon at this point. And he was about to squish the man's skull and Lyra came out and and and, and made him stop and and was like you promised you wouldn't hurt anybody. And he's like I told you if I told you if they fight they die. And she's like but you owe me a debt. Now you can repay it. Just turn around. Don't fight these men. And then up comes Lee and Hester. Oh, damn, Yurik, you're racking up debts, you know, faster than, you know, something, something, something. And and, and basically, and he goes, hey, Mr. Sizzleman, good to see you again. (laughs) And his face is just under Yurik's gigantic paw, and he's just, (laughs) just super shook. And uh, Lyra and, and Lee are able to talk him out of killing the guy. And he's like, this isn't who you are, you know, he's... He can't hurt you. At this point, it would just be murder. He's not trying to fight you. So let's go. York lets out just the most vicious growl. And they all leave. And he, uh... Oh! Sizzleman did leave. Did Sizzleman live? And he peed on himself. Yes. I think the guy... I think it happened in a similar way where she talked... But he did crush a guy's skull in his rampage. He yeah, did. he went to town, and it was, like, gory in the book. Yeah, yeah. So a few of those guys, he just knocked them around on TV, but he, like, disemboweled one, crushed another guy's skull. Because they talk about, like, the entrails in his claw. Yeah. And and then he... And then there was a big standoff in the books. Like, all the cops surrounded him, and they were like, yeah, you know, you could attempt to take him out, but in trying to kill him he's going to destroy a lot of stuff so you could just let us leave or you know you could we could go the violent way and in the book he your uh goes to the goes to the edge of the dock or goes to the edge of the ice takes his armor off jumps in the water and they're like, what's he doing? Where's he going? What's he doing? Where's, where, 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 where? And then uh, a, a minute, two minutes later, emerges with a seal in his mouth, throws the seal on the ice, gets on the ice, lays out his armor, like, you know, lays it out, guts the seal with one with a claw right up in the gut, pulls out the fat, and lubes up his armor because it's been sitting for in a basement for years and it's all rusty and he just uses seal fat to to lube up his armor and then he puts it back on <laughs> and by that time all the army of of police folk showed up to yes. the dock and that's when they have their standoff and and then yeah none of that in this one they just talk him out of it next scene we got uh we we got uh, 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 oh, oh, we had Kaiser, Kaiser watching this whole thing from a bird's eye view. Uh, which is so good. Yeah, so she's watching, which means Serafina is watching. John Fah is not happy that Lee Scoresby is along for the ride, but when Lee comes up, he goes, hey, yeah, I'm Lee, you, you hired me? And Fah's like, who's this guy? And Lee's like, you told me you were representing the Egyptians or whatever. He's like, no, I told you he'd be grateful for your help. 
so again, they're getting that silver. She's getting her silver tongue moments where her storytelling and her lying is is finally starting to like come into come into view. So she basically manipulated John Fa and uh, Lee Scoresby, and now she's got herself an army. And 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 then Lord and then Fa and Coram look at each other like, how did? Oh my God! How did this all happen? And then you also see York Bjornsson. He's taking all this in, um, and he's the one that gave her the name Silver Tongue. So he's peeping how she's manipulating all these people, but not again for not evil. And then Lee and uh, and then Lee and Fa introduce, and that's why I said John Fa skeptical. Like, whatever. Welcome aboard, Lee Scoresby. <laughs> Basically, like. The, the bear vouches for you and she does I, I, it seems like I don't have much choice even as the king of the Egyptians yeah he's and just I'm over looking, a barrel at and this I'm point looking, and I'm looking at Yurik's eyes and they're brown and they're kind of human like and I don't like that in the book they were dark and emotionless and that was the point he was a bear and he didn't have emotion on his face and it was hard to read his his read him in any given moment and then for our second to last scene, we've got Mrs. Coulter's Zeppelin parked because we saw it flying in over the Arctic earlier. So now it's parked. <laughs> it's just parked in the middle of the tundra. She finds a cave and she goes in the cave and she starts talking like, and she's, Eufer, I appreciate the need to keep our meeting a secret, but it would be difficult if I can't see you. And then, uh, don't waste my time and then they have basically this conversation where she just manipulates the crap out of the self-hating Euphor Ragnarsson and the whole self-hating part will come into come into into view in later episodes I was a little disappointed they didn't give you the first hint by showing but, but, but they need they haven't set it up yet either because in the book, the Palmarian scholar says, the Pinsabjörn wants a demon of his own. And they all chuckle and laugh like, <laughs> but Lyra at the time didn't know what the hell a Pinsabjörner was and why it's funny that a Pinsabjörner would want its own, his own demon. So I'm being a little, uh, you know, I'm jumping ahead uh, a tiny bit. Um, but again, he's a self-hating bear who wants to be something he's not. So when Mrs. Coulter dangles that the Magisterium is willing to baptize him and make him the first bear to, and only bear to be baptized, what did he? What did? What did she want? Uh, she admits she helped. The, oh, she also. That's how they get some of their exposition out. Like, how, how are they going to get? Let you know that she's the one that helped tricked. And she says it. She goes, "I, you know, I helped you trick your, your Eric off the, off the throne." Um. So basically, like, I'm here. I've done all this for you. I got Eric off the throne for you. I got you. Uh, so you, he's like, yeah. And I kidnapped Azrael. My my payback is done. He's like, okay, but how about a baptism? So that's again, no matter who she's de- what man she's dealing with, with what male she's dealing with, she seems to always have a trump card, a way to get them, even if they're not wanting to. He didn't want to. He's like, oh, I'm good. I'm not giving Azrael up. 
I told you I'd kidnap him, but he's my prisoner. And he's so after agreeing, oh, they're going to baptize me? Okay, fine. They can have Azrael. And she goes, no, you keep him. I'll control him through you. And it's just like the levels, the levels of manipulation and how she can just play men and play male characters. It's, it's, and, and Lyra's not, she's a girl. And granted, she's a young girl that hasn't, doesn't have a, especially when they first met, didn't have a ton of experience. So it's not exactly hard to manipulate a little girl when you come in all glamorous and, and pretty and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so they, they leave understanding that, uh, yeah, Ezreal will be controlled and and I'll control you and, and yeah, she's she's got everything everything just she's got a backup plan for the backup plan got to and then they show, they go back to Trollison and there's a line, a caravan of Egyptians um, I assume they're 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 walking back to the water to where their ship is. No, 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 no. They're they're walking north. That's right. I'm sorry. So so it seems like Trollison is as far as you can go north by water. Now they have a caravan with a sled and obviously York with them and. And they all and they all leave. Oh, this episode, it looked like Lee scores. We got the top billing. I think it's because they do it in order of appearance. I believe that's what they said at the very beginning. Yeah, because it, they have Carlo Burio, Borio, Euphorachnison at the bottom, and those were the last two two of the last characters you saw. Yeah, so. That's 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 tonight's episode, and I mean spectacular. I mean just super awesome. I mean, just all 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 of the uh, all of the words of praise. Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved it, and you know, I'm fighting through it right now because we Emerald City did it. But oh, we it definitely was nice. uh, we definitely talked to death uh, this episode, but but I, I definitely think it was it was worth it. We did get an email from from Doc Bruce, so let's uh, let's get into that. Oh, you know what? Before we read the email, let's end on a positive note. So let me get the negative stuff out here. Someone, I think you saw my tweet earlier. Yeah. Let me find it. Thinking of his dark materials group. Um. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's in the. Ooh, that looks good. That's cool. That artwork is really awesome. Okay, maybe it's in this one. Who is that kid? So they have Mr. Sizzleman. As mm-hmm. oh Dudley Dursley, I didn't understand why they kept. They were, I was like, "Who's Dudley Dursley from that stupid Christmas movie that I hate with R- Ralph Ralphie he shoots himself in the eye like an idiot?" Yeah, Christmas Story. I hate that movie. And then they play it not twenty four hours on Christmas Eve and day. It's like screw you, people. 
Oh, okay. Here it is. I think it's in the fans group. I will go to my damn Twitter if they make me. I think I'm going to have to go to my Twitter. Oh, no, you know what? I have it in our secret Commonwealth uh, group. So the tweet, or I'm sorry, the, the post was, this was a, a real IMDb um, review. Two out of ten. Two out of ten stars. And I'm going to read verbatim from here. A ripoff of the Golden Compass. After watching these few episodes, I finally realized I was watching something that I had already watched. It's the movie The Golden Compass with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Except now it's gone from a two-hour movie to a 10-12 hours uh, TV series. Same character name, same bear, same name for him. I even think the demons or little animals each person have are the same as well. I think the people in Hollywood have lost all creativity, their brains as well. Too many remakes. Not only movies, but TV as well. Pathetic. Yet they pat themselves on the back with their award shows for turning turning out garbage. And then at the bottom, zero of 67 people found this review helpful. (laughs) Like, what an idiot. What an absolute... Bozo. Wow. And if you're listening, thank you. Yes, you're an idiot, but thanks for listening. Thanks for the <laughs> for the download. All right. So to Oh no. Oh no, Rich. What? They have somebody did a, an edit of a Nintendo 3DS game and it's Kane the, the the biblical figure, not the wrestler, holding about the bash eight, or I guess uh, maybe it's reverse, but yeah, yeah, Kane slew Abel. It's Kane about the bash Abel in the head. It says rated E for everyone. It's called Super Smash. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Whole lot. I'm sorry for <laughs> making y'all. Uh, Hear such uh, blasphemy! Blasphemy. Um, the General Relation Board would not approve of the that. The Magisterium too. is, yeah, I'm, I sh- yes, I should probably uh, pack up my things because they got the spy fly and they are on their way. <laughs> All right, so Doc Bruce chimes in. Subject: Magisterium bow at the feet of Marissa Coulter. One S in Marissa, by the way, Bruce. Uh, Bruce says, Hi, "How's it going, Traven Rich?" In another great episode for building the story, what was your favorite scene? Mine is undoubtedly when Mrs. Coulter scored that power play at the Magisterium. She was so calm and composed, but also so sinister. The former bellied by the maleficence in her eyes. Mm. The reactions she garnered at the mere mention of Azriel showed her levels of cunning. I loved how it came full circle when she met with Euphor Ragnarsson. Ah, yes, what a cunning woman. Uh, just clever as all hell. You have a favorite scene? I think it's when uh, York was going to crush that dude's head. <laughs> because it was so good from a CG standpoint. But just also Lyra's like, hey, you owe me a favor. And my favor is you spare this man. Like she was just so 
she didn't care about the fact that this is a ginormous bear. Well, she didn't care when she could when she confronted him and called him a cat. Like you ain't a coward, are you? But you a punk. Your mom say you a punk. Daddy say you a punk. <laughs> um. So yeah, I would say probably the bar fight. Um, yeah. Just I, I loved Hester in that in that, in that scene. I mean, Lee was great too. Just taking that beating for 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 you know, and, and the ends justified the mean. Well, he got a bunch of pocket watches, and also he you know, well he didn't get much information, he, but he did get some get some trinkets and jewelry. Uh, second, I would m- maybe maybe the opening scene with uh, with Lee and Hester, but yeah, this was a Lee, and and we didn't do it last week, but MVP um, MVP of the show for me is Lee Scoresby, second by far to Quorum because he just he's he's probably my favorite actor. Him and Clark Peters, uh, Master of Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Miss, I mean, everybody's just such a good performer and a good actor. But my personal favorites are are, are probably Corum and Clark Peters. So for this episode, Lee scores me hand down, hands down, and a and a and a and a pulling up a pulling up the silver is uh, is far to Corum. And 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 Daphne Keene and Lyra's always there in the mix. As his as his roots, and even in that one scene, Boreos got a, so much cross just uh, just in that one interaction with Fra Pavel. Continuing with uh, Bruce's email, Lin Manuel started off a bit eccentric, but really came together like the Lee Scoresby I imagined in the book. Though it's hard to top the character in the movie. Eric Bjornsson and Hester are straight G's. Yes. Yes, they are, especially Hester. Well, Eurek's definitely a G of all Gs, but Hester ain't a, ain't a two-ton bear with claws and fangs and armor. Yeah. And she's uh, she's about it. Hey, you almost got me! <laughs> when somebody threw something at the bar and she had to duck. That would have been cool to show, to again, show that if you hurt a demon, their human feels it. So if they were able to, that would have been a bit much. It was like a two by four or something that got thrown. But if they could have gotten her like shoved off the bar, or or even fighting with the other guys' demons that were that were there, I, I thought that was a bit of a missed opportunity because they didn't yeah. show what their demons were doing. It was all the, about the three or four on one fight between the men. It would have been nice if Hester the, the whole time was. I guess if she's dodging other demons, she can't be there to say, duck, turn, watch your back, here he comes, kick him. Or she could be doing protecting herself at the same time protecting her man. That would have been even cooler. That would have been, she would have been a G, next level G on, on if she did that. But it, it still was a really good scene and probably my favorite. Uh, also, did you see... Also, did you see Heyman react like Lesnar's demon when Mysterio hit that low blow? Shit had me rolling. <laughs> see, that would explain a lot. He's trying to keep it his dark material base. Here, here come the wrestling talk. <laughs> he reacted like Lesnar's demon. 
he's done that a lot over the years. Like the what have you done? When he, uh, I mean, when he beat Undertaker at, Ma- at WrestleMania yeah. 30, and he's got his hands over his mouth because even he couldn't believe uh, that the Undertaker lost at WrestleMania. That was that was that was the most. That was that's probably the most iconic Heyman still shot of the last you know, decade or so. Modern Heyman. Uh, looking forward to your comments and your voice and your voices matter to me, uh, Doc Bruce in Seattle. Um, thanks. I'm not, I, I think he's being genuine. I don't think. I mean, no, no, I, I, I think know he's does. being genuine, I think it's, but I don't think yeah, he's. I, I don't think he's like. There's a double like funny mean. I think he just our voices. No, matter. I think with all the stuff with Cornette last week. <sighs> yeah. Definitely. I apologize. Yeah, how rude. Listen, <laughs> listen, that 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 uh that uh Red Bull was powered for like yeah. at best right. a half hour. Well you did you 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 started that you did have a, a you came out hot. Oh yeah, and Lee Scoresby. I was like, ooh, Rich, how's this gonna be able to sustain? Here we are, hour and a half later. <laughs> I'm fading. But yeah, no, that just uh Shit, hour and a half, like hour and 40, yeah. 50 minutes. Woof. All right. Um, yes. So, y- y- yes. So, thanks for the email, Bruce. Uh, please be like Bruce. Uh, shoot us an email, uh, especially if you're in the UK and you get the show a day before we do. Although next week, I think we'll be recording on a Sunday again. Uh, but if you can, as soon as the episode's over, get us an email. Get us a tweet uh, at Dust Podcast on Twitter. Dust Podcast at gmail.com is the email. You can drop us a voicemail if you'd like. You got three three unadulterated minutes to ask us any kind of question, comments, rants, raves, whatever you got. Um, whatever you got for us, um, hit us there. Uh, the voicemail is 415. 415- Seven eight seven five two two nine, and before I end the show, Brian uh, from Phoenix sent an email last week, and and but I think last week we did the show Sunday, so we got in. Yeah, so he Brian says thanks again for helping me watch the show. <laughs> uh, so far, I'm enjoying it. I watch both episodes back to back. And need to watch them again. Watched on my iPad. I haven't had trouble. I haven't had a problem with the demon CGI. Uh, I caught up with both D Dust podcasts. Uh, I liked the way Lyra and Pan escaped from Mrs. Coulter and her golden monkey in the movies more than the TV show. I'm probably because I think the 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 movie in that scene, the party scene, was more like the book. So I'd agree there. Um, he continues, the monkey found the alethiometer, Pan changed into a bird, grabbed the compass, and flew out the window with Lyra close behind. Have a great show. Thanks, Brian. Then he chimed in with another email. Is it, and he's not the spelling, is it demon or demon? And it's D-A-E-M-O-N or D-A-E with the squished A-E. <laughs> and he says, also, the way to get the squished AE in most cases is to hold the alt key and type 0230. Not sure how you send uh, the show recaps to Wade, but it should translate. 
I think he means to Cam. Because I don't send my <laughs> these write-ups to Wade. Uh, let me see. I'm going to search email. So he's saying alt and then 02. So alt 0230. Yep. Because oh, every time I'm super mad when I have to, when I'm writing in the, uh, like in the group or if I'm on Twitter and on my laptop and I don't know how to make the squished IE, uh, AE, now I do. Because sometimes I'll just go screw it. I'm going to use my phone because I know I can do it on there. So awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that, uh, uh, Brian. So yes, so that's it for uh, for this episode. Please hit us on Twitter, email us, voicemail us once again. At DDust Podcast on Twitter, DDust Podcast at gmail.com, and the voicemail is 415 787 5229. So, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for hanging in there with this long episode. Um, and we'll be back next week for episode five, which I do not know the title to. Here's a sneak peek on HBO for episode 5. Let me play that. It's Dark Material Season 1, episode 5, sneak peek. So, episode 5 is apparently called Sneak Peek. Because <laughs> 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 they're not showing the damn episode title. So, anyway, we'll be back for next episode 5 next time. And uh, until then, uh, cross over to this world and join us and uh, yeah talk to you next time the demon dust podcast is hosted by Travis Bryant and Rich Fan II and is produced by Cameron Hawkins for the South Congress Podcast Network 